Planners, Crypto for Planners. You are now tuned in to Crypto for Planners. All financial advisors are welcome to Crypto for Planners, Crypto for Planners. Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto for Planners podcast. I am Adam Blumberg and here we are with the uh, CFP, the Crypto for Planners podcast, of course, the only CFP that really matters. Uh, today, I'm joined by Teddy Woodward from Notional Finance. It's a DeFi protocol uh, w- giving fixed interest yields, fixed interest lending. Um, really important to a really important um, add to the the DeFi world and the DeFi landscape. And I'm going to let Teddy tell you a little bit about himself and ba- his background, Teddy. And um, a little bit about Notional. So let's start with who you are, your background a little bit, how you got into crypto, and then we'll we'll start talking about Notional. Okay, sure. That sounds great. Uh, first of all, Adam, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, I think it's really an important thing to try and help, um, you know, educate people and get sort of more mainstream folks into the space and like... Uh, interacting with DeFi protocols and and enjoying the benefits of DeFi. Um, so I'll start with my background. So um, I started my career as an interest rate swaps trader at uh, an investment bank. So I worked uh, for Barclays Investment Bank in London um, for about four years. And then uh, in sort of, I think, early to mid-2018, I made the made the jump to crypto. Now, basically, what mo- motivated that decision was, you know, I, I enjoyed being a trader, but I, I felt that uh, traditional finance, um, you know, it, it, it sort of it. I didn't see a huge future. I felt that it was behind the times. So, I think you know an example of that. So, I, I traded these quite complex uh, interest rate derivatives called cross currency basis swaps who some of your listeners may or may not be familiar with. Um, and every single trade that I made um, was executed via a voice broker. Okay, so whenever we traded, I would contact uh, a broker like by voice. I'd essentially give the guy a call and say that I wanted to trade this. And to me, it just felt like it was crazy that in 2015, um, you know, everything was still done human to human, you know, uh, and it felt like, uh, yeah, it felt like that couldn't be the future, you know. Let, let me ask you this real, real quickly, Teddy, before you mm-hmm. go on. So cross-currency basis swaps, which I've really, uh, you know, in all honesty, I haven't really heard of, but that doesn't mean a whole lot because in in your move over to crypto and DeFi, um, was there anything in there you mentioned there behind the times, but was there anything in there that you looked at what you were doing and the assets or, or the, the swaps, the derivatives that you were playing with? And you went, you know what? The people who use this are so few and far between, or, or maybe there's a lot. I, I don't know much about them, but this is not really helping most of the world. Like this is not really helping most of, of people in finance, most people that are looking to invest. Was there any thought there? And maybe with that, you could verse us a little bit on what a cross-currency basis swap is. I know uh, that's not the, the point of what we're trying to do. And yeah, I don't no want to, I don't want to do like a 10 minute discussion, but like at its very base, who, who uses it? Why? And just a little bit about that. I think 
I think helps. It, it's interesting for, for me and it kind of helps me with your move and, and where we're eventually going to go with this discussion. Sure thing. I, I think that's actually kind of an interesting angle. So um, first of all, a cross-currency basis swaps are uh, extremely esoteric, um, even in sort of the, the world of derivatives. But, but what it is, is it's a, um, it's an interest rate swap, you know, like, uh, uh, like a regular, you have a fixed floating interest rate swap. That's kind of the vanilla version. So cross-currency interest rate swap is when you are, uh, paying, uh, a rate in one currency like euros and you're receiving the rate in a different currency like U.S. dollars, right? So on one leg, you might be paying fixed euros and uh, you're receiving a dollar rate on the other leg, right? And, and the reason people do this, um, it's basically some of the largest players in the cross-currency market are large corporations that want to... So for, I think the easiest way to explain it is with an example. So uh, let's say you're Ford Motors, right? And you want to borrow some money and what you need are dollars. Um, and so you go out and you raise a bunch of dollars from, from the U.S. market. But actually, you find that there's a lot of investors in Europe that want exposure to Ford. But the thing is, the investors in Europe, they want to lend euros to Ford, not dollars. So what Ford is going to do is it's going to go issue a euro bond in Europe so that the European investors can invest euros, can loan forward euros. And then it's going to execute a cross-currency interest rate swap with a bank like Barclays. And what it's going to do is it's going to have the bank essentially take on the obligation by paying fixed euros. And it's going to have the bank give Ford uh, the obligation that it would prefer. Right. So it's going to have the bank give it the dollars instead of the euros. And, and Ford is going to have to pay dollar uh, interest to the bank. And then the bank uh, essentially pays the fixed euro interest to the actual investor. Right. So it's, a, it. so it's a little yeah. bit of a way for them to hedge a little bit of their currency risk and still be able to, you know, play in the lending markets in, in multiple jurisdictions, multiple regions. That's right, exactly with, with right. multiple yeah. currencies. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to see that idea that, that you've already had there, one, interest rates and, and two, kind of derivatives and risk, kind of sneak its way into to DeFi and notional finance, right? I think that's fair to say, yeah. So I, like, it's one of the reasons why uh, we started notional. And, and maybe I'll, I'll um, just as background. So, so notional is a fixed rate uh, lending and borrowing protocol in DeFi. So if your uh, listeners are familiar with uh, Compound or Aave, those are the sort of canonical lending protocols in, in DeFi. Um, those protocols are exclusively variable rate, right? So when you're borrowing DAI or you're borrowing USDC, the rate that you're paying uh, varies, right? It's the rate that you're paying tomorrow is not the same that the rate as the rate you're paying today. And so, you know, we felt that uh, you know, given sort of my experience in, in traditional finance and just understanding that in general, people prefer to lend and borrow at fixed rates of interest versus variable rates of interest. Um, we felt that uh, fixed rates in DeFi was sort of the next logical step in its evolution. 
Uh, and so we basically, you know, uh, my partner and I, uh, who's the, uh, uh, he's the tech guy. I'm the finance guy. Uh, we sort of teamed up and, and started Notional about two years ago. Uh, and so we've been, you know, working hard on it ever since. But, but the core idea is just that, you know, I knew that fixed rates are huge in, in traditional finance. And I also saw two years ago that there was only this variable rate option and essentially the entire rest of the yield curve was just completely non-existent. So we felt that it was like, you know, that what Notional could do was essentially build out that yield curve and give people access to fixed rates of interest, um, you know, three month, six month, one year, even as far as like 20 years down the road, right? Like, uh, and that's really the ambition for, for Notional. That is, that's ambitious, especially based on kind of when you started it, when it launched and when it became big, because what we saw in DeFi for so long was this idea of I'm willing to take the risk and I want ridiculous rates of return. And now it seems like with, with what Notional is doing with a few others, there's more of this flight to, well, I'd rather have a higher interest rate than I can get at my bank. Um, but, and I'm okay with, you know, with a lot less risk and, and I don't really need those ridiculous returns because I, because I'm not willing to take the risk for them. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's definitely true. You know, like DeFi has already matured quite a bit, uh, since, since it started, you know, I think that as you, you've seen just a ton of capital come into the space and, and, and the projects that have been around for a long time and, and have operated successfully. Uh, have attracted the lion's share of the capital, like Compound, Ave, and something like Curve, right? And like, because those projects are sort of safe. And um, and I think it's kind of interesting, but especially over uh, 2021, and specifically the last half of 2021, um, the sort of baseline rates of return in DeFi for these like consensus safe protocols uh they've almost you know they've gotten quite low right you you're talking about like 3 to 5% kind of returns which is it's interesting right um and i think it what it shows you is just that the you know just the the huge amount of capital that's that's come into the space you know and like uh the fact that people really feel comfortable with these protocols given that they've operated successfully for so long and, and they're discounting the smart contract risk. So you you and your partner kind of have this idea of we think that there will be a need. And I don't know if you had any research to back it up other than just to say we feel like there will be a need and in, in this flight to uh, not only to some level of fixed interest for some fixed period of time for the most part. So which, you know, we know being in finance, if you're going to give up your money for longer, then you get usually a higher reward. Um, and, and you all are, are able to do that. And then the idea of, we think there's a need for a fixed interest product for some fixed uh, amount of time sounds great. And then you probably get into the tech and go, oh my gosh, now we got to figure out how to decentralize this, right? This is what banks do regularly, but banks can kind of hold your money in a black box and not tell you what's going on. And they can guarantee some, some level of return, whereas you don't get to do that. So now you got to set off going, okay, we need to deconstruct what essentially the banking system does and put it in a protocol that we can throw out there on the Ethereum blockchain and hope that it works. 
right? And 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 really hope that the decentralization works and that we can just and that and that we're giving people the right incentive mechanisms to contribute their capital to be part of the liquidity pool, all those things. So, how has that? It, I mean, I, I, you obviously don't have to go into all the gory details about how you've done it, but in your coming from the traditional side, how how um, I don't know how difficult it was going from yeah, this is a great idea, I think this is necessary, and then going oh my gosh, how how are we going to incentivize people to do this? Yeah, uh, <laughs> so actually, I think that's that's a pretty like out of out of all the sort of summations of of notional that I've heard, I like that one. Uh, <laughs> just like describing the struggle. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty accurate. And I, I would say, so it's been about two years now um, and it's working. So it is, it's a work in progress as, as kind of all these DeFi protocols are, but it is working. So, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, cause it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing and, and I'll go into maybe a little bit of, technical detail here, but try not, try to, uh, not do too much. Um, but like basically, uh, notional is very complex, both technically and economically. So something like a compound, um, from an economic perspective, isn't that complicated. You have a lender and a borrower, right? Now the lender earns the interest that the borrower pays. Um, and it's pretty straightforward. Um, now, what makes Notional slightly more complicated is that there's actually a third party involved. So you have lenders, borrowers, and then liquidity providers. And the liquidity provider is kind of filling the role that like a bank might, where you know a bank is going to be willing to lend to you or borrow to you uh, whenever you want, right? So essentially, the bank isn't instantaneously matching your lend order with somebody else's borrow order, they're sort of sitting in the middle and like managing the mismatch, right? And like, as you said, a bank can just put that all in a black box and, and do whatever they want to, to manage that. And it's a lot easier when you can just do it that way. Um, but like creating a protocol that does that same function um, in a way that like, cause the essential thing is the liquidity provider has to be, uh, he has to make enough money to do it. Right. Um, so like kind of fitting all those different pieces together and making sure that everything works great for the lender, the borrower and the liquidity provider is it's challenging for sure. Um, and it is working, but it's, it's a work in progress and we're sort of like, we're, we're improving on it. Um, you know, every day. Okay, so you made you made an interesting point a couple of times. You said it, it is working. In your mind, what does it is working mean? Well, what I mean is that uh, we have shown good success so far. So, Notional V two is the current version of the protocol, and we launched that uh, about three months ago. Um, so, Notional V one was kind of our proof of concept, and we launched that maybe a little over a year ago. Uh, and then iterated on that a lot and sort of learned a lot from Notional V1 and launched Notional V2 in November of last year. So it's been live about three months. Uh, and today it has about $460 million in assets. Um, and we've, and the thing that I'm, that I think is particularly important is that we've actually done a, a substantial amount of lending volume or loan volume. 
So we've done about $260 million in actual loans originated. So that's lending and borrowing, um, which I think is pretty good so far. Now, what I would say is there's, there's additional work that we, that we need to do. Um, but like so far the model is working. Yeah. Okay. So the, the interesting part, and, and I've gone into uh, a lot of the documentation you have and the details and such, but interesting as it, as it is with several other DeFi protocols, right, is um, I have the ability to utilize Notional uh, on, from seven different, several different levels. I can, if I want to lend and earn some interest, I can do so and, and know what my interest is going to be. If I want to borrow, I can do so and know what my interest will be. Or if I want to kind of play the bank, and be the liquidity provider that's in between, I can do that and I can earn as well, right? So you've given the capability to have three different players in here. Yep, that's exactly right, yeah. Okay, so let's, uh, I wanna think about the way that, that something like this, I mean, knowing what you know of the traditional finance world, knowing what you know of the DeFi world, and as we said, this kind of goes counter to a lot of what DeFi has been thus far which has been, you know, I want to, I, I want to take a lot of risk. I want to generate crazy APY on my, on my yields. Um, DGEN, NFT, all, you know, all those things that DeFi has kind of represented so far. And you're going a, you know, the opposite direction more closely towards what the traditional finance system likes. So how do you see something like what, what you have and the, you know, the kind of lower, lower yield yet fixed rate, how do you see that being a part of what DeFi will be coming in, in the future? And when I say future, future in DeFi terms is like a year, a year to five years. So, so do you think it's something that will increase adoption of, of crypto and DeFi because we have something that's more akin to traditional finance or because we have something that's less risk or, or what have you based on the success that you've seen? Yeah, those are those are good questions. So, so the first thing I would say is that, you know, you can talk about DeFi being super degen and people wanting all this stuff, but at some level, you know, finance is finance. And and what people care about is risk versus reward. Right. And and I think that, you know, what we've already seen, sort of in what we spoke about previously here with the influx of capital into curve, Ave, and Compound. And and you have, you know, tens of billions of dollars accepting yields that are sort of three to 5%, right? And that shows you, uh, and, and like the, the vast majority of the capital in DeFi is in those sort of lower yielding opportunities, right? And, and it shows you that like people really, really value risk or, uh, you know, safety uh, um, in DeFi, despite its sort of like degen reputation. Now, I think that... Um, there is for sure still a place for all this degen activity. You know, at, at the fringes of DeFi is, is like at sort of a, the forefront, if you will. Like that's where it's going to be. It's going to be pushing the boundaries. Um, but like, you know, it is not the case that like people don't think about the risk they're taking with their funds. Like I think that that is pretty objectively not true. Um, and then, you know, when you look at Notional right now, so, you know, we're still a pretty new protocol. Uh, so there's smart contract risk there. Um, but like we are compensating users for that risk because right now our, our rates are, you know, eight or 9% fixed 
versus uh, on the sort of ultra safe um, DeFi protocols, you might get again three to five percent, right? So there's there's a spread on Notional that that compensates users for the increased risk they're taking for sure. Uh, and then, kind of uh, to your point about uh, the future, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, we've already seen. Um, I think that something like Notional really appeals to sort of newer users that are coming into the space, right? Who've seen what's happened in the last year and a half and uh, are coming in with maybe a little bit of a sort of a different attitude. Um, and something like high fixed returns on Notional really appeal to them. So I think that it is, you know, it is a product that's really going to help attract, uh, you know, sort of build out DeFi's ecosystem by attracting a lot uh, more new people. Yeah, but I, I think it's really interesting because, of course, this this podcast is is mainly for those that are in the financial services world. So financial advisors, accountants, lawyers, bankers and such. Um, and where I when I read about Notional and, and, and when I started thinking about DeFi, I mean, I, I've been. Uh, relatively publicly frustrated with the the whole degen idea, and I I'm excited. I've gotten excited for DeFi. We've gotten excited for it for the purposes of adding to uh, adding adoption, but adding to uh, those that can participate in the economy. Most of us cannot participate in your cross currency interest rate swaps, right? Like we we don't really care, and, and we see anything swaps as something that banks did back in 2008 that screwed up the whole economy. And which is the whole purpose for Bitcoin and DeFi and everything else anyway. So now we look at, I've looked at DeFi as, okay, now we can have more and more people participate in the global economy. Um, however, those people can't lose money. They, they can't just go in and, and take too much risk. And we want more, we want more financial advisors to be able to help people get their money directly into crypto or directly into DeFi, not necessarily because we want them to take so much risk, but because it gives them the opportunity to participate more. It gives them the opportunity to kind of be the bank if they want to. It gives them the opportunity to earn more yield if they want to and do it in some ways that are um, that obviously non-custodial, but are non-correlated to the rest of the market. It, it's, we haven't had ways for individuals to earn any sort of real interest in years, right? Interest rates have been so low and the ability to earn some interest, uh, especially if it's a fixed interest rate, I think it'd be tremendously helpful, not only for individual investors, but as we talk about for, for advisors to be able to help their clients and say, look, we're not taking any sort of volatility risk. This is, you can, you can take your USDC or your DAI and earn interest for a fixed period of time. And that's an incredibly, incredibly valuable part of any financial plan that we honestly haven't had for a while. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think like, um, um, I mean, that's what's so cool about DeFi ultimately is that you're just removing that layer that's sort of like rent seeking intermediary layer, um, which is, you know, which is awesome. It's, it's what I, cause I think it's, it's more than just sort of removing the banks uh, and removing the people that work at the banks. It's, it's also like, um, removing lawyers, <laughs> um, which I, I'm particularly happy about, I would say, uh, you know, and it's, it's funny cause, um, after having, you know, the experience that I have and, and having worked at Notional for so long, uh, and, and, you know, this, this has been my first real experience 
starting a business and, and dealing with all the sort of uh, legal stuff that comes with that. And like, if you want to pay somebody money, you first have to give the lawyer money so that he can write the document that allows you to pay the guy. And it's, it's, uh, and really smart contracts on Ethereum are just like an objectively better way of, of like doing business. Cause you just don't need this like highly paid lawyer to sort of arbitrate, you know, uh, an agreement that's, that's always ambiguous because it's based on the human, you know, like based on the English language, right. As opposed to like something that is defined mathematically. So it's just like a better, it's a better way of doing things. Right. I mean, that, that's essentially what so much of this is about is it's just a more efficient way to do things that we should be able to do. We have the technology to do it. Um, and it will, it will cut out so much of that rent seeking behavior that we've gotten so used to that look in all honesty, Teddy, we had to have for years and years and years because we needed someone to trust. We needed someone to take those, take that on. We needed banks to take that on. We, it seems like have the technology to get around that now or, or not get around it. We have the technology to, to enact all the contracts and have the money move back and forth without the need for the banks or lawyers or, or any intermediaries, apologize to you, Matt McClintock, you know, one of our attorneys, if, if you're listening, uh, promise, Matt, we love what you do. But, the, but you know, everyone in here knows that the part of the point of DeFi is this disintermediation. And if we can have a way for, for you guys or, or, or anyone to, to build these protocols that allow us to earn interest, uh, to, to lend, to borrow, because the borrowing is important too, right? If I need to go borrow, it would be nice to be able to borrow funds without having to go through all the legalese, without having to ask permission from a bank and, and you know, contribute, you know, some sort of collateral that I have in, in my home or something um, that, that if I have say, look, I have these assets, I'm going to pledge they're, they're digital. I want to pledge them as collateral and I need to go borrow cash that I can spend. This is a way to do it, too, which is an incredibly vital piece of the economy as well. Yeah, no, I, and, and it's so much easier than, you know, I think if, if you want to do that in the traditional financial system, like you can like be Jeff Bezos and just like have so much money that like the, the banks will let you do it. But like for just like a, I don't know, like a regular person is really, really challenging to actually borrow against your assets, you know, and if you can borrow against your assets, you're most likely going to get like not great terms. Right. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, in the traditional financial system, if you are one of the biggest players, you can do all the stuff, you can do anything you want and, uh, and it works and the system works great. But if you're not one of the biggest players, there's just so much that you can't do, you know, when there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do it other than the, the cost of, doing these things because you have to involve uh, all these different humans, right? These bankers and lawyers is the threshold for like having that activity be profitable is so high that most people are just shut out, you know? And like, that's the cool thing about DeFi is, is it's extending that access to everyone. So I'm going to ask you, I want to make sure I get at least two more questions in here. One is going to be about use cases. Where do you see use cases for what you're building with Notional? And the second is, what do you see as some of the uh, impediments? What is stopping us from greater uh, adoption, either by those of us that are in the in the financial services world or just 
typical investors, whether they're retail investors or institutions. So use cases and then what are some of those impediments? What's stopping us from from moving forward with more DeFi adoption? Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing, so on use cases, uh, so I'm going to talk about borrowing because I think lending is is pretty straightforward, right? Like you lend your money, you get some interest. That's the use case. Um, now for borrowing, uh, I think that one's a little bit more complicated and it's it's harder for people to intuitively understand. Uh, like why would you, you know, if you have $150 of Bitcoin, you know, why would you put up $150 of Bitcoin to borrow $100? Like, uh it can be a little bit challenging to understand it first. So the reason people do this in general um, is because they, uh, you know, a lot of the use case that we've seen for this, um, people put their ether or their wrapped Bitcoin on Notional and they borrow against it so that they can use the dollars, the, the dollar stable coins that they borrow um, uh, to either pursue uh, strategies in DeFi so they could go try and uh, go yield farming in DeFi. Um, they can also uh, borrow against their Ether rep Bitcoin so that they can buy more. So they can go sort of levered long. Um, and, uh, and, and crucially, I think that the two things that are really important here is one, you're able to utilize this cash while you stay long the Ether or wrapped Bitcoin, right? So it's a way for you to get cash and use it without selling your assets. So you stay long and two, you don't pay any capital gains tax, right? That's like, that's another kind of, uh, that's another big thing. So it's a way for you to, you know, get cash on your assets without selling them and then use that cash to do stuff like, you know, uh, make markets. Uh, if you're a trader, uh, go levered long or invest in some other project, um, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I see, um, I mean, thinking as a financial advisor, I see use cases also on the, the lending side, uh, especially in financial planning where, I mean, say for instance, I'm, I'm planning my daughter's wedding in a year. Like it'd be really nice to go, all right, I'm earmarking a certain amount of money. Plus I'm going to earn interest on it. I can't afford to lose any of it. And therefore I, I need to get some sort of fixed interest on it because, uh, you know, I, I don't want it to sit there doing nothing like it would at a bank. I'm not going to go buy a CD that's going to pay me, you know, 1%. Um, I would rather have some sort of fixed and I could probably ladder them a little bit to get a little bit higher interest on some of it. Um, and I could probably have a financial planning strategy that says as I earn on, you know, my, as, as my ETH goes up in value or something, I sell some of it, I sell a certain amount and that goes into a, a fixed income or a fixed interest product that continues to earn more. And then bam, by the time my daughter's wedding comes around in a year, I have more than enough money to pay for it. And then I can go take a vacation afterwards. Sounds nice. All right. Let's, let's, go, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's do, do it. <laughs> yeah. So the, the next piece, I guess, is the, like what's stopping us, what's holding us back. Yeah. Okay. So I think, so I want to, all right. All right. I think there's a couple things. Uh, so first of all, that strategy that you just described, um, I think that if you were to try to do that on Ethereum mainnet, uh, you'd wind up paying an awful lot in gas fees, to put it mildly. Um, you, you know, I think that every time, basically, 
on Ethereum mainnet, if your listeners aren't aware, you know, every time you run a transaction, you have to pay a gas fee, right? So if you want to do something that's like kind of special where like, you know, you're going to, you're going to lend to these different maturities and you're also going to like, when ETH goes over this, you sell some and you do all this stuff, you know, like you're talking about paying a lot in transaction costs, like to the Ethereum network. Right? And like, everybody's been talking about this recently as, as gas fees have been spiking that, you know, Ethereum is like unusable. Right. Um, and, and it's not unusable. It's just only usable for people with a fair amount of money, which is a, a huge problem. Right. Um, I think that that's the number one barrier to adoption. Um, but it is being solved. Right. So we're seeing sort of like these L2s come online, um, you know, Arbitrum, Optimism, Starknet. Now, these things are very much in their infancy. And I think that sort of over the next year or two, uh, you're going to see uh, cheap transactions for everyone so that you can do the kind of strategy that you just talked about um, uh, without paying a, a ton in fees. You're going to see better UX um, in general, not just related to fees. And then you're also just going to see protocols like Notional will have another two years of sort of a track record, right? So we will have improved the protocol. We will have proven that it's safe because it'll be, have, it will have been running for two years, right? And there's, there's no, when it comes to these DeFi protocols, there's no substitute for, uh, time in the market and, and, like it working as it's as it should for some amount of time. There's no substitute for that when when it comes to evaluating the security of the protocol. So I think in a few years, again, you're going to see cheap transactions. Uh, you're going to see good UX, and you're you're going to have really safe, reliable protocols. And I think that's going to let you do uh, the kind of stuff you just talked about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I think you hit all the main heads. Right. It is is the the um, relatively quick inexpensive and safe, right? And if, if we can put all that together around, you know, what we do, which is educating the financial advisors and educating people about it so they understand that, that they can do this and then how to do it, then, you know, we, we have everything we need to start down the road of greater adoption. We don't assume there's going to be like 100% adoption, but we need to start going that way, right? We, we need to start getting to where it's more of a, uh, it, it's not a, uh, it's not something that's, you know, really cool that some techies over there do with, with with their money, but it's more of you know seen as something that maybe institutions do, maybe family offices do. That they go, we we need some, we need to use DeFi because we can get better fixed interest rates for a certain period of time, right? And we can do so inexpensively, and, and we can track it all, and it's all on chain, and we have a, a record of everything automatically. I don't have to go ask the bank for the record; I have it. Yep. Right. I think I think those are all like we we check all those boxes off, and those are all being checked off in real time right now. Right. People are working on those in real time, very quickly. You, you know, you guys included. So you you mentioned layer two. Do you all have a certain layer two direction you're going? Yes. So I think that uh, we are right now. We're preparing for uh, an initial sort of layer two deployment in uh, the second quarter of this year. Um, so we're going to start with Polygon. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we plan to be where the users are, right? So it's not going to be just Polygon. 
Um, it'll be, you know, wherever kind of there is usage and adoption. And I think longer term, we are really bullish on StarkNet. I think StarkNet, like for, you know, uh, that's, that's the uh, layer two that's developed by the company called Starkware, which is sort of a, it's operates on a new technology called uh, zero knowledge proofs. Um, that technology is, I think, truly transformational and it's going to like allow DeFi protocols to produce, like to have these cheap transactions and like instant sort of finality and all the stuff that, that you need to have really great user experiences. So I think, you know, in the interim, we're, we're going to deploy to layer twos, just where there's usage, where the users are, uh, and then sort of with a long-term vision towards getting Notional onto StarkNet. Okay, so that, that's interesting to hear. So I, I also, you know, read from your documentation that you're thinking about, uh, or right now, I guess you use, uh, what, DAI, USDC, ETH, and wrapped Bitcoin as uh, collateral. Is there any thought that you all have? I mean, I guess this is part of up to the partly up to the the governance of the protocol, but thought towards using other assets as as collateral, um, whether those are only digital or crypto assets or real world assets that are you know that, that have a, a token associated with them. Yeah, so we are definitely going to uh, add more collateral assets, more assets to lend and borrow. Absolutely. Um, that stuff is all coming in, you know, probably the next couple of months. Uh, so it's just taken a little while because, you know, we just launched a couple months ago. We had a, a backlog of stuff that we had to get through. Um, but absolutely, you know, more collateral assets are coming. Now, your, your question about real world versus uh, sort of crypto native assets is an interesting one. I think that my view on this, which I think is maybe a little bit counter consensus, is that you're not going to see real world assets like being utilized in DeFi protocols like Notional uh, until they change the laws. Um, and I, cause I think ultimately that's what it's going to take. Like for, for, for DeFi protocols to work, like you can't, like it is very, very difficult to have an off chain dependency, right? Cause like, in, in the way that DeFi or the way that Notional makes sure that borrowers pay their debts is that we liquidate or, you know, anyone can liquidate their collateral uh, if the value of it falls below what they owe. Now, the issue, if you try and bring a real world asset into this sort of framework is that like, okay, so I liquidated this token, but what is this token actually? You know, like, how do I know that I can take this token and get ownership in the real world in a way that a court will recognize. So it's like, there is that, like, there's that gap between the blockchain. I own this token on the blockchain, but what does it mean in the legal system? You know, and like that needs to be bridged before you can really have real world assets on notional. And I think, I think the reality is it's not going to happen until they like make laws that specifically allow it to happen. Yeah, you're probably right. It's very hard for you all to collect collateral if that collateral is a home, right? And there's yeah. no legal ability to actually go collect the home, collect real estate, right? That That's kind of the problem. It goes back to the lawyers thing. Right? You got to have lawyers take care of that. And it's just not an easy, an easy thing to do. The same reason why we don't have 
DeFi mortgages yet because it all comes back to being able to actually collect the collateral. Right, right. Although actually, funny, funny note, uh, just a little anecdote on the DeFi mortgage thing. Uh, so there was actually in our, for a V1, we had a guy who had a mortgage in Australia uh, with the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And he borrowed half a million dollars on Notional, took that USDC, converted it to Aussie and paid off his mortgage. <laughs> so he literally transferred his debt from the Commonwealth Bank of Australia to Notional, which is pretty cool. That, that is pretty cool. That's uh, making his own DeFi mortgage, I guess. Right. Yeah, now exactly. He, okay. So that's, uh, that's really interesting. He solved his own problem. I like that. Well, Teddy, I, I really appreciate uh, your taking the time. We should probably wrap up here. Um, this is uh, your shot. You know, any last comments and um, let us know how we, how, how we view Notional, how we get a hold of you, how we learn what's going on with, with you guys. Yeah. So, um, you know, thanks, Adam. Thanks a lot uh, for having me on. Uh, if, if anybody is listening, uh, we are, you can find uh, Notional on notional.finance is our website. You can follow us on Twitter at Notional Finance to hear all sort of the latest updates. Um, and, you know, as we've talked about here today, we think that, uh, you know, fixed rates allow sort of uh, a whole new group of people. Uh, like give them a reason to interact with DeFi. So if this is something that you want to talk about um, or if, if you're interested, you know, please hop in our Discord and, and reach out to us, let us know. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Oh, Adam, I think you're muted. Ah, I, I should figure out how this technology works. Thanks again, everyone, for for listening. Thank you so much, Teddy, for being on. Um, thank you for listening to the Crypto for Planners podcast. Again, the only CFP that matters. Put on to you by PlannerDAO. So check us out. PlannerDAO.io is where you can go if you're a financial advisor, a banker, an accountant, a lawyer, and you want to be part of our decentralized organization of financial service professionals. Uh, and uh, we on Twitter, we're at, we're at PlannerDAO. You can find us there and we hope to see you in the next episode or, or hear from you in the next episode of Crypto for Planners.